Okay, so we are um, we are in week three of uh, Pain and Promise. So that's what we're calling this ser- series. We're on a four-week journey through the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. And uh, honestly, four weeks isn't enough time to cover this massive book. Um, Jeremiah is very large. Um, it's full of very significant events in history that happened over 2,500 years ago. If you re- if, I don't know if you realize this as we've been talking through this, but we're talking about over 25, 2,600 years ago um, that this happened. So it was a long time ago. So it's difficult for us to cover all that stuff in four weeks. But we decided that we wanted to kind of do an overview of Jeremiah um, to touch on some different elements that we discover, and particularly the relationship that we see between Jeremiah and God and the way they're interacting and Jeremiah's role. Um, so uh, so we're hopeful that uh, this four-week time we can kind of get an overview, get some highlights of this book. So as the... Um, teaching team was deciding who was going to do what messages. Wendy um, introduced the series two weeks ago. Um, Matt spoke last week, um, and Alberto is next week. But Wendy decided that week three was for me, like that this week three should be for me. And um, the reason that she decided week three was mine uh, is kind of funny, actually. Um, I am the only person on the teaching team, so Wendy, Alberto, me, and Matt, I'm the only person on the team that is run with wild horses. So clearly, I should do week three of this series. So you thought maybe we had, like, some sophisticated, you know, intricate way of deciding who does what message. Not really. Sometimes it's just, well, Larry, I think he ran with wild horses, so he should be week three. So, uh, actually, there's a little bit more to the story. So, um, in the passage that we're looking at today, uh, we're looking at a conversation between God and Jeremiah. And we're going to talk more about this. I'm going to give you the full context of what's going on in this conversation. But I want to read for you just one statement that God makes to, um, to Jeremiah. This is what God says uh, in Jeremiah 12, verse 5, to, um, uh, that God says to Jeremiah. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete? How can you run with horses? So, you know, Larry should do this message because Wendy was like, I have no idea what that means. We'll let Larry figure it out. He's run with wild horses. So here's, the, here's my personal story. When I was in um, high school, is there, you can put the picture up. Uh, we got some horses here. I'll explain this, these horses in a moment. So when I was in high school, I, uh, I ran on the cross-country team and the track team. So I was a runner, and I ran with men. I mean, boys, you know, but whatever. For the sake of this passage, I, I ran with men. When I was 19 years old, um, I, my brother and I went on a trip out west to Wyoming to a place called the Great Divide Basin, um, the Red Desert uh, of Wyoming. And uh, it turns out, we didn't know this before we got out there, but it turns out, we heard rumors of this, that um, some of the largest herds of wild horses in the world are roaming free in the Great Divide Basin, this weird place in the middle of Wyoming, and still to this day, huge herds of wild horses there. So my brother and I decided, like, I don't care what happens, but we're finding some wild horses. Like, this, is, this can't be real. Like, this is extraordinary. Let's find some wild horses. So, uh, so we're searching. There's dirt roads. Like, all, that's all that's there. Our, stuck, our truck got stuck at one point. We had to spend the night overnight because we got lodged in some icy water or whatever. So we're like, we're going to find these wild horses. Eventually we did. 
Find the Wild Horses, and um, this, is, this picture is actually a herd of wild horses in the Great Divide Basin. So this happened, I was 19, so this was, you know, several decades ago, 25 years ago, exactly. Um, and there were no digital cameras back then. So I have pictures of these horses. I don't know if there's pictures of me running with the horses, but I have pictures of horses somewhere in a box. Who, does anybody know where, like, all their pictures from their childhood that aren't digital are? Somewhere there are these four by six or whatever they were, printouts of these horses, but I couldn't find them, so you're gonna have to trust me. This is a picture um, from Google, thankfully. I think it's the website for this herd management area, whatever, conservation group, uh, of wild horses. So imagine that these are the exact horses. They actually did, in my mind, look very similar. They were different colors and they were beautiful. These ones look a little healthier than I think the ones that I um, had the chance to hang out with. But, um, so we're driving along and we see wild horses. And I was like, I gotta get close. It's kind of how I am with nature experiences. I gotta get close to these horses. So we stop, I get out, and I'm like, you know, I don't know if I was creeping or whatever I was doing. I was walking slowly, trying to get close to these horses, and they're just watching me, and they eat the, the sagebrushy stuff on the ground there. They're just kind of chomping and watching me. And at some point in uh, the process, I got close, too close to comfort for these horses, and they decided that they weren't interested in me, and um, so they left. And they, uh, they took off running, and their like hooves were like thundering against the ground, and the long hair, because they're wild, they're, nobody's cutting their hair, their hair and their necks are like long, and it's waving in the wind. And I'm like standing there near them, and there's probably 20 or so of these horses, and I, something just broke free in my spirit, and I was like, whew. And I just started running, and I'm like jumping over bushes, and like some of these sagebrush things, the green things down there are like three feet tall. I'm like leaping and, you know, jumping over rocks. Whatever was in my way, it didn't matter. I was like, I was running with these horses. It was um, one of the most, I think, exhilarating experiences of my life. I don't think I've run so fast or hard um, ever. It was extraordinary. So Jer God says to Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how on earth are you going to run with horses? So I was like, yeah, I get this. This, this speaks to me. And I wonder, I wonder if Jeremiah ever had a chance to run with wild horses. But we don't know that. Who knows? So this question from God that um, he delivers to Jeremiah in this conversation, it comes at a very like a very critical time in the life of Jeremiah. So Wendy and Matt have given us a lot of great teaching about Jeremiah and his life and what was going on in the context of history where Jeremiah lived and kind of his world, what, uh, what God was up to and how he was using Jeremiah. And if you recall, Jeremiah was a very young man when this story, when all of this took place. There's a good chance he was even a teenager at the time. And uh, and God calls Jeremiah to a very important Siri, not job. The people of the nation of Judah, um, Jeremiah was a Jewish person in the nation of Judah, and the people of the nation of Judah had wandered away from God. They had wandered off um, and disregarded God's teaching. They still did religious stuff. So, and we see this throughout history. There are people that are they're still doing the religious-y kind of thing, showing up and saying the right things. They talk about God and that sort of thing. But at the same time, they had lost their concern for justice and mercy and care and concern for the people around them. They'd become selfish. They'd abandoned God's ways of justice and goodness and love toward their neighbor. So God calls this young man, Jeremiah, 
to be his prophet, to speak on behalf of God, to deliver God's message to, uh, to the people. And Jeremiah is given the job to carry some very difficult words to the Jewish people of Judah. Uh, he is, it's Jeremiah's job to warn the people that if they don't straighten up, if they don't get back on track with God, that in fact a powerful army from the north is going to sweep in and is going to destroy everything. Their homes, um, their cities, eventually even the temple of God where they worship, where they gather to connect with and speak with God. Their prosperity, their comfort, their livelihood, even their identity as a people is threatened. It's going to be destroyed if they don't uh, return to God. Which sounds like, you know, a fun job. You're a teenager and God is like, hey, got a little task for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, teenage boy, to go to the leaders of your nation and deliver, you know, some cheerful news that they need to get back on track. They need to get their, put their heads back on straight and start following me and living in my way of love and compassion and care and concern and justice. Uh, Jeremiah is given this task to do. And I wonder, it crosses my mind, like, has there ever been a time in history where that message has gone well? Where somebody has showed up and said, yeah, you need to get your act together. You need to, like, um, get back on track. Start loving God and start loving your neighbor. Otherwise, things are going to go very badly for you. I'm not really sure there's a, there are many times in history um, where people have received that message um, well or kindly. So as we learned over the past several weeks, the leaders of Judah, the leaders of these people in this nation, did not respond well to what Jeremiah had to say. Um, the people of Judah didn't listen to Jeremiah or regard what he had said. And eventually, everything that Jeremiah predicted was going to happen actually came true because the people did not return to obedience and following God's way of justice and love. And a powerful army from the north comes in. It destroys everything. Thousands of Jews are carried off in captivity and slavery. The nation is destroyed. The temple of God is destroyed. Their sense of identity, their feeling of safety, all of it was destroyed. And then Jeremiah, who delivered this message of destruction that was coming, um, he's given the job of comforting the people in the midst of their destruction and loss and all that they were going through. Um, after this uh, army had swept through. So as I uh, look at the book of Jeremiah, it's the easiest way for me to describe it is kind of like there's a larger story going on and then there's a story within the story. So this is something that we often see in literature and storytelling, that there's this larger reality that's happening and then a smaller story that's going on inside of the larger. And that is the sense that... Um, that we get here, that there is this larger story of the nation of Judah, um, this kingdom of people with a history, with a sense of self, a sense of identity, uh, with kings and leaders and towns and farms and art and industry, all of this stuff was true, children and parents and grandparents, like this collective identity as a people and this larger story that's happening with that collective group of uh, people. But at the same time, there is this young kid, this kid Jeremiah. He's a kid from a small town in Judea in the countryside, and he's caught in the middle of this situation between God and God's disobedient, unhealthy, unjust people. 
And Jeremiah is stuck in between in the tension, in fact, called by God to place himself in the midst of that tension. Jeremiah is trying himself to live faithfully to God, to live his life in obedience, to do what God has asked him to do. And no matter how well he lives his life, how obedient he is to what God has asked him to do, he's standing in this dangerous place, in this dangerous job, this dangerous role in the world and among the people, saying things that people don't want to hear, proclaiming their disobedience, their unjustness, and eventually the the destruction that's coming because of the way that they've chosen um, to live, the path that they've chosen. And this is where we meet Jeremiah in our stories that we're looking at today in uh, Jeremiah in chapter 11 and 12. Jeremiah, this young man, in this place of tension between God and his disobedient, unjust people. So check out um, what Jeremiah, um, what we read here in Jeremiah 11. Wait for it. Let me drink it this way so I can like advertise young life on them. <clears throat> All right, Jeremiah 11, verse 18 and, uh, and 19. This is what, uh, what we read. Then the Lord told me about the plots my enemies were making against me. I was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. I had no idea that they were planning to kill me. Let's destroy this man and all of his words, they said. Let's cut him down so that his name will be forgotten forever. So as we look at the story and we see the larger context, discover that the people that are bringing this threat against um, Jeremiah, that are kind of instigating the, the, this threat against him, are from his own hometown. That there is a chance that the people that are stirring up this, uh, this attack, really, on Jeremiah are people that watched him grow up that they were listening to what Jeremiah had to say and what he was doing um, and, and saying it was coming from God, and they're not liking it. They're not appreciating what Jeremiah has to say, but that's a little bit of an understatement, right? Like to the point that they want to kill him, to the point that they want to blot him out from history. They want to create a situation where Jeremiah is never remembered. His name is lost. His, everything he said is lost. They want to exterminate and get rid of this guy, which um, is intense. But we see this, uh, this is a very common attitude uh, towards prophets that we see kind of in Scripture, certainly, and throughout history. This idea that this prophet, this person is coming and he's saying these things. If we kill the prophet, then maybe his prophecies won't come true. So if we can get rid of this guy, then maybe none of the bad stuff he's saying is going to happen. Like, let's get rid of him and not remember it because we don't want any of these things to happen to us. That Jeremiah is a threat, and that threat has to be eliminated. This threat to the power and the privilege and the comfort of the people of his day, of the Jewish people in Judea and the way that they're functioning, he's a threat and he has to be eliminated. And that, I think, is a story that we recognize, right? That uh, in the nations of wealth and privilege, threats to that, na- that wealth and privilege must be removed. Often, regardless of justice, regardless of kindness, regardless of goodness, systems of oppression and established and maintained to protect the freedom of some people. And anyone that's a threat to that establishment then needs to be exterminated. 
So the question that comes to my mind when I'm looking at stories like this, have you, and I wonder, have you ever, have you, is it, are you curious, why are these kind of stories preserved for us? Because these are very dark. The stories of Jeremiah and the things that are going on in this situation with the, Jew, the people of Judah and the unjustness and the army coming in, why is this stuff recorded for us? This happened like 25 centuries ago. Thousands of years ago, this stuff took place. Why did God find it necessary to preserve these type of stories for me, for us? And I wonder if it's because God knows that these type of things happen over and over and over again. That the reality of history, as long as we're humans, we keep repeating this cycle of unjustness and power and privilege and oppression. The story of oppression relived generation after generation after generation. So in the light of this threat to kill Jeremiah, the next part of this conversation um, isn't a surprise. I don't think it should be a surprise to us what we're going to read next. Um, but it's really important for us to see what Jeremiah has to say, where, the way he responds, his level of honesty and openness with God. Because I think it's actually a logical response for us as we, um, as we interact and connect and seek to follow, um, follow God. So let's take a look at Jeremiah 12. And we're going to read down through five or six verses or so. And this is Jeremiah's... So Jeremiah is in this situation where his life is being threatened and Jeremiah directs some very intense thoughts towards God. And so we're going to kind of just read down through what Jeremiah um, has to say here. <clears throat> All right, Jeremiah chapter 12, I think this is verse, um, verse 1. Jeremiah says, You are always righteous, Lord. So you'll notice there, the Lord is all in capital letters. So in, um, in modern translation, so English, Spanish, others, um, oftentimes this, you'll see the word Lord in all capital letters. What that means, it's signaling something for us. Uh, it actually means that the Hebrew word that was used, the original text, the original word that was used was this term or this name Yahweh, which was the personal name that God gave to himself when he interacted with his people. I am Yahweh. So Jeremiah is choosing to be very personal in his interaction with Yahweh. He's using God's personal name as he's speaking here. You are always righteous, Yahweh. So this concept is actually a foundational premise of all of scripture that God is righteous, that he is good, that he honors his promise, that he comes through, that he follows through, that Yahweh is um, righteous. And Jeremiah says, you are righteous, Yahweh. He's sort of declaring this at the beginning of his, um, his interaction or his little uh, statement here to, uh, to God. You are righteous, always righteous, Yahweh, yet I would speak to you about your justice. That's a little bit intense, right? A little honest, a little direct. Um, you're righteous, Yahweh, but let's talk a minute about your justice. I'm not so sure. Um, Jeremiah, and this is, I think this is an important part of reading some of these kind of things, that Jeremiah is following a tradition here. The tradition that we find uh, all throughout the Psalms in Scripture, many prophets, many 
people that God has called to follow him closely, we see this type of conversation happening. This level of very honest, direct, blunt, sometimes accusing language that God's people will use for him. And it's a little tense when, because we're, we're in a sort of culture or a time or we've been taught certain things about God that make us think that maybe we can't really be honest with God about what's going on with us. But I think there's something really important as we're looking at the model of these people and the way they interact um, with, uh, with God here in Jeremiah and other places in Scripture. So Jeremiah is not holding back his confusion, his questions at all for God. You are righteous, Yahweh, Yet, I would speak to you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and they bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but their hearts are far from you. Yet you know me, Yahweh. You know me. You see me. You test my thoughts about you. Jeremiah is clear. You know, God, you know, Yahweh, that I am innocent, that these people are bringing this attack against me, that I am innocent. I'm, I'm doing exactly what you called me to do, and yet these people are trying to harm me, are trying to kill me. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. Jeremiah is angry. He's using very intense, even violent language here. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked, the animals, even the animals and the birds have perished. So the land is not even safe from these people. The land is suffering. This earth, this planet, this place that you've given us is even being destroyed by the wicked and faithless. Moreover, the people, these people, are saying he will not see what happens to us. God doesn't, isn't watching, is what they're saying. God's not even going to see. He doesn't care. He isn't paying attention. This is the attitude that they have, uh, that Jeremiah is expressing. So it's interesting that Jeremiah's entire mission from God is because of wicked, faithless people. He is in the situation he is because God has called him to stand against some things in society. Leaders and everyday people who disregard justice and goodness, who harm and oppress people, even destroying the very planet that we have been given. And Jeremiah's words, I think, echo through history, through all time and all of humanity around and around the earth. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? You are righteous, Yahweh, but why? It's a mess down here. Why? So we are about to, uh, we're going to look in just a moment at God's response, at Yahweh's response to Jeremiah's statement. But we have to, like, let ourselves take in what Jeremiah is talking about here. Like, the intensity of his words, what he's seeing, what he's experiencing, his own personal story. This is very personal. He's been called to do something for God, and his own life is threatened. It's not like it's just the mission's not working out. It's like he is personally being threatened in this situation, and he expresses some very significant questions about how the world works and justice and what God is up to um, in, uh, in the world. And it's interesting that... Um, here in Jeremiah, 
in the book of Job, this is a big conversation. Other places with prophets, we encounter this in different places in Scripture. And I think it's safe to say that God never really answers this question. That when his people direct this question of injustice and why is evil in the world, that God never really gives a straight answer um, to that question. So before we look at God's actual response, there's a couple of things that I do want to, um, to say about some of the questions that Jeremiah is directing here. That, um, first of all, the answer to the problem of evil, when we encounter it in a place like this or we experience it in our own life, there is not an easy answer to questions like this. And uh, if you've ever been in a situation where you've had these kind of questions and someone has given you an answer, Oftentimes it's an easy answer, a simple answer, well, think this or think that. And normally we're very dissatisfied with that kind of answer. Um, it doesn't satisfy the intensity of the feeling or the depth of the question that we're facing. And I think it's important for us to recognize that if God doesn't answer this question clearly, directly, simply, then that might actually mean there's not a clear and simple and direct answer for the difficult questions like the problem of evil in the world. And you'll notice that God doesn't seem interested in entering into a sort of cognitive, um, intellectual sort of conversation about these kind of things. God doesn't enter into this space when we ask him, when he has asked these kind of questions, into this space of like, well, let's just think it through. Let's come up with a strategy. Let's work it out. He doesn't engage in that sort of um, of conversation. So that is, uh, that's the first thing just to, to recognize. And this is kind of big picture scripture stuff. The second thing, and I think this is particularly important for us to see, that God does respond to evil and the questions and the issues of evil, but his response is normally a very intense emotional response followed by action. So God's response to evil is anger and action. And I think that as we get a sense of scripture, he expects us, he desires for us to have that same sort of response. That when we see the injustice and the brokenness of the world around us, that that bothers us. That we're stirred up in a way, in the way that we see God stirred up towards anger and hurt and what that then produces, this action standing against. So he doesn't give simple answers to these kind of questions, but he does respond with emotion, with anger even, and then action standing against the injustice that we see um, in the world. That, why does evil happen? That's not easy to answer, but what do we do about the evil that we encounter in the world? Scripture and history are full of powerful examples of godly resistance, of anger and action in the face of injustice, that we have role models in scripture and through history of response to the evil that we encounter and that we face in, um, in the world. And we got a little bit of a sample of that when we were in the Gospel of John series, looking at Jesus, Jesus constantly standing in resistance to injustice, oftentimes responding with anger and action towards the injustice that he encountered um, in the world. Not necessarily the way that we might think he would respond, but very clear response of emotion and intensity and then action, standing against in the way he lived and the things that he said. All right, so let's get back to Jeremiah and Yahweh's lighthearted little chat that's going on here. So that was my side on, uh, on our response and understanding and the way we think about um, the problem of evil in the world. So um, 
God's verbal response. So we're going to look at God's response to Jeremiah here. Um, his verbal response, what God says here, isn't at all what I think we would expect him to say. So we're going to process a little bit and try to understand what God's up to and what he's, um, what he's saying here. But I don't really think it's what we would expect in a normal situation, the kind of questions that um, Jeremiah pushes towards God here. That Jeremiah has just, let me sum it up, what Jeremiah has just said to God. God, you are, just, you are righteous, or at least we've always wanted to believe that you are righteous. But I'm struggling. I've got an issue with your idea of justice. Wicked people are living large, while the faithful, godly folks are suffering in all sorts of different ways. So Jeremiah has kind of laid it out, brought it to God, and, um, and this is what God says in response. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? How can you keep up? How can you run with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? So the phrase that's translated thickets by the Jordan there, it's talking about the wild land, forests and, um, and thickets and the sort of this intense wilderness that um, is along the Jordan River in the area where the Jewish people occupied. Um, we know from history that that land was full of lions and all kinds of wild beasts and that the Jordan River would flood at times intense, violent floods that would sweep through um, the land along the sides of the Jordan. <clears throat> um, so God is like, if you stumble in safe, easy, comfortable country, how are you going to manage when you get in the dangerous places, the violent, the extreme danger sort of areas? And by the way, Jeremiah, your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Don't trust them, though they speak well of you. So that is God's response to Jeremiah's question. Um, it sounds a little bit like, to me, like God is saying, Jeremiah, yeah, it's actually worse than you think. Like, you think it's bad. These people are against you. It's the people of you. It's your family. It's your own family that's betrayed you. It's the people around you that knew you since you grew up. They're the ones that are raising up the issue. It's actually a lot worse, Jeremiah, than you think. You can't even trust your family. And if you're worn out by this stuff, how are you going to run with horses? How are you going to face the really big and intense things that are going on in the world? So I mentioned earlier um, my experience running with wild horses. So I left something out. I left a detail out. Um, it was amazing, and I felt like I was flying. But um, what I didn't mention is that after a minute or so, maybe less, the horses left me in the literal dust, like coughing and panting in the dust. I might have lasted a minute running with these horses, but I'm not sure that I did. Um, in my so sort of moment of inspiration as I'm sprinting alongside of these horses, I'm not really sure that it lasted very long. It was amazing, and it seemed like it lasted forever, but I couldn't keep up. I could, my soul longed to run with these horses, to keep up, to keep pace, to stay with them and continue the race, but I just didn't have it in me to do. So Jeremiah is in the middle of a very terrible situation here. 
In fact, God says it's a whole lot worse than you realize, Jeremiah. The people around him are wearing him out. His circumstances are dangerous. He's crying out to God about injustice and about this personal sort of attack that's coming his way. But we know from the rest of the book of Jeremiah that it gets a lot worse. It really gets a lot worse. And Jeremiah has a very long road to go. So Jeremiah's eyes are on these people around him that are trying to harm him. It's a very personal sort of moment and story. And he's like, God, look at this. Look what's going on. Look at the people that are against me. Look at this mess. And Yahweh, the God of the universe, is like, yep, it's a mess. But you only see a little part of what's going on. I see all of it. I see the whole picture. That Jeremiah is worn out by the people around him. And I think we get that. We get worn out. We understand this sort of place where family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people around us are just wearing us down. And it's real and it's difficult and it's exhausting. And as we look through scripture, we realize God really cares about that stuff. He really cares and desires to be present with us in the midst of those sorts of things that are going on. And it's clear from that Jeremiah lives a long life, actually. So it's very clear God stepped in. He intervened. God protected him. God even gave him the strength that he needed to keep um, moving and keep up with uh, what was going on and what God had called him um, to. But at the same time, God, the, the imagery I get is that God kind of lifting Jeremiah's head up a little bit. Like Jeremiah's kind of down and he's in this space and all this stuff that's going on and he's worn out and God just kind of lifts his head up a little bit. We see a little bit, but Yahweh sees all of it. We're caught up in very painful, difficult circumstances in our sort of immediate environment, but God is lifting our eyes to see there's a whole lot more going on. He sees all of it. The racial injustice and economic oppression, broken education systems, mass incarceration, sexual abuse, the abuse of power and privilege and authority in the world, human trafficking, systems of government and society that are designed to keep some people at the bottom and hold some people up at the top. God sees all of it. All of those situations, all of the things that are going on, not just in our individual lives, but collectively in society and the world around us. If racing against men makes you tired, how are you going to race against the horses? How are you going to face these really significant, difficult, terrible things that are going on in the world? That God is heartbroken and God is angry at the injustice and the brokenness of the world around us, around Jeremiah and around us today. And from the beginning of time, God has been calling out to anyone who would listen to stand with him against those things, to actually be present in the midst of our own circumstances, but also aware and present in the circumstances of society and the world around us. Against these larger stories, these larger realities of injustice that are playing out in the world around us. Now we know from the rest of Jeremiah's story that he actually runs with horses, that Jeremiah actually stays in the fight with God and stands with God and continues to make a stand against the just injustice that was taking place in his context and the world around him. That somehow this crazy conversation between God where Jeremiah brings an intense amount of honesty and complaint and frustration to God, 
that God's response lifts his eyes up and helps him see the larger reality of what's going on. And it's just enough to keep Jeremiah in the fight with God. So I don't, um, I don't know if you have ever um, looked at protest pictures very much. Particularly, I took some time this week, for whatever reason it was on my mind, and I just looked at a bunch of um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. protest pictures. So pictures where he was standed, standing like in a crowd and they were facing down some sort of obstacle. And I don't, so I don't know if you've ever looked at these sorts of pictures, but when I look at them, I'm just kind of like, it's a mixture of amazed and confused and like questions that just stir in, inside of me. That you see these people that are standing against injustice but not just small stuff. You're talking about a tide of history, a wave of history that is oppressed and been violent against people of color. Like these people standing in the midst, these weapons of death and destruction that are against them, they're standing in that place. And you look at their faces and it's like they have courage. You can see it in their eyes, courage and boldness. There's something inside of them. Even some of the pictures, shockingly, there's a sort of sense of peace enjoy in their faces like when they're in it they're running with horses they're running against they're standing against some of the biggest most significant conflicts and oppression in the world they're standing in the midst of that and they have some sort of peace going on and i just wonder like how do you get there how how do we function in a way that we're not just worn out by the things that we face in day-to-day -day life which are real and god cares about but that we can stand in the presence of insurmountable injustice and difficulty and brokenness in, the brokenness in the world and be present and at peace that somehow we have inspiration from tide of history of people who have done this, who have stood against. That God, this idea that God sees our little stories within the larger story of what's going on in the world. He sees our difficulty, our pain, our personal weariness and exhaustion from what we're facing. And he cares about that stuff. He also sees the big story, the really big picture, the large scale injustice and brokenness in the world. And on occasion, every so often, he lifts our head up to look and to move our eyes from our current context and situation to see the larger reality of society around us, to lift our eyes up so that we can see what he sees. And I think his desire is that we would see what he sees to the extent that we can that we would be moved, emotionally stirred the way we see God emotionally stirred. Hurt and broken and sad and compassion and compelled in anger towards action. To stand against the systems of injustice that we see around us. To join God in this fight that he's been engaging in in humanity from the beginning. To break chains, to bring liberation and freedom to people who uh, are oppressed and hurting. So I want to just kind of finish with a, a couple of minutes of quiet for us. And I've got a few questions going to put up on the screen for us to contemplate a little bit. And uh, I just want to give you time to, um, to sort through these. So three questions here. Uh, what do I need to be honest with God about? So in Jeremiah and really throughout, throughout Scripture, and history, when you expand and you look at sort of the saints, the pillars of Christianity through history, we see a level of honesty that's really pretty extraordinary. That God has a desire for his people to really be open and honest with him. 
what do I need to be honest with God about? What do I need to bring to him? Because I'm thinking it, I'm feeling it, and God wants to know. He just wants me to say it. What do I need to be honest with God about? Do I see the injustice around me? God wants to lift our eyes up, and sometimes we don't want to lift our eyes up. We don't want to see it for lots of different reasons, but do we? Are we willing to lift our, lift, lift our eyes up and see the injustice and the brokenness in the world around us? And am I taking care of myself so that I don't get weary? So embedded in this conversation and God's response to Jeremiah is this idea, how are you going to stand? Like, this is not easy. I get it. How are you going to stand? How are you going to keep running? Not just with your current sort of local reality and pain, but also with horses and these greater, more challenging, more significant things that are going on in the world. Am I taking care of myself so that I don't get weary, so that I don't check out, so that I don't step away from the realities of what's going on in the world and get caught up in a place of just sort of focusing on myself and finding ways to feel better individually but not being aware and concerned? about what's going on in the world around me? Am I taking care of myself so that I don't get weary? So I'm just going to give, uh, give us a couple of minutes here to, um, to reflect on those questions. And I recognize processing through three questions like that, sometimes that's too much. So what I would encourage you to do is kind of close your eyes, and if there's one of those questions that's burning inside of you, then just sit with that question, lift it up to God, talk to him about it, and wait for him to respond. Because there is a chance that he has something he wants you to hear today related to our awareness, related to our presence in the realities of the world, of our self-care, the way we're nurturing our own souls and our own spirits, our own bodies, so that we continue to stay present and not get weary. So I'm going to give us a couple minutes here and uh, just ask you to kind of close your eyes, take some breaths, and, um, and reflect here.